Well, good morning, everyone. What a privilege it is to worship with you this morning. And uh, I have um, been praying with Kristen and David and Cal and Mary and and uh, Chris and Caroline for like, what is this, eight years now? Eight years? And God has just been moving mightily in this church. And it has been a joy to watch from a distance and to see and to witness God at work. And I can tell you, you are spoiled. You are greatly spoiled in this church because God is moving in a way that I have not seen in many churches, maybe even in my lifetime. And uh, you are greatly blessed to have men who love the Lord and, and can exhort you through his word in Pastor David and Pastor Cal and many others. And so um, it's a privilege to be here this morning. I know that they don't give up this privilege very lightly. And so um, I come fearfully and uh, I come expectantly because I believe that God is going to show up in a mighty way this morning. And so in my church back home, we've been journeying through a series called Our Summer Songs series, and, uh, and we've been working through a number of the books, or a number of the psalms, and so I'm just bringing to you this week what I brought to our church last week by God's grace, and so trusting that God will use that in a mighty way, and so um, this morning I want to draw your attention to a psalm that is really a simple exhortation for those of us who have embraced Jesus Christ by faith that we would praise the Lord. It's a simple exhortation that we would praise the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was in high school, I was on the football team and I played quarterback. And as a quarterback, there was one thing you had to do if you were going to run the play. And it was the most critical part of the play, and it was the most overlooked and just kind of nonchalant part of the play that we never really paid attention to, but that is you had to complete the snap if you were going to run the play. And so... Every day before practice, coach would always get me and the center or the the backup center together and we would take snaps. And you would take snaps and you would take snaps because the coach knew that if at any point that snap was not completed, we could not run the play. And if we couldn't run the play, the best that I could do would be fall on that fumbled ball. Any quarterbacks in the room? You know what I mean, that's embarrassing, right? And, and so you've got to learn to take the snap. It is the fundamental of football. And so our coach would exhort us every day to rehearse the snap, rehearse the snap, rehearse the snap. And in some ways this morning, I believe the psalmist is doing that very thing to us this morning, is exhorting us to this simple fact that we are called to praise the Lord. To praise the Lord. You see, praise church, praise is the great battle of the Christian life. You say, well, how is that, pastor? How can praise be the battle of the Christian life? Because here's how it happens. Praise is a battle because the battle is who is going to receive your praise and why. And so maybe as a body of believers this morning, we can answer that question. We can examine that question. Who is going to, who is going to receive our praise And why? So with me, would you open your Bibles to Psalm 113? Psalm 113, and uh, if you have one of those little electronic things, um, then just go ahead and scroll your way to Psalm 113. But uh, for all page flippers, 
Any page flippers still alive? Amen. I love you. I hear that uh, pastors up here sometimes preach on these little things that some company makes that are some devices that they just kind of finger scroll. Uh, but we've got the book this morning. Amen? Amen. No offense, guys. I love you. Um, but I'm old school, and uh, it's great to be here. So Psalm 113, let's just stand and honor the Word of God as we read that together. Psalm 113 says, Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth forever. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations. His glory is above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, who is enthroned on high, who humbles himself to behold the things that are in the heaven and in the earth? He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with princes of his people. He makes the barren woman abide in the house as a joyful mother of children. Praise the Lord. Let's have a word of prayer together. Father God, we gather this morning with a grateful spirit. We gather this morning humble hearts. We gather this morning with a desire to lift high the name of Jesus Christ and praise with our lives. And so as we open your word, as we examine your truth, God, would you apply it to us? And will we leave changed with a greater desire to fulfill the call that you have called us to? And that is to praise you, God. Would you, Holy Spirit, move my mouth and my tongue to formulate the words that you would have said and to block the ones you would like not said, God. For your honor and glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We'll go ahead and have a seat. Our bottom line or our big idea this morning is simply this, that we have been called to praise the Lord. We have been called to praise the Lord. <clears throat> and so <clears throat> we're going to talk about two points this morning. The first one is that I am exhorted to praise. I am exhorted to praise the Lord. So the word praise there in verse 1 is the Hebrew word hallel. And hallel simply means that. It means praise. It means to shine brightly. It means to celebrate. It means to shout. It means boasting. How many grandparents in the room? Okay, so for years you guys have annoyed me. Because every time you show me all these pictures of your grandchildren and you're going to tell me about how they you know, spit up on that, and then they did that, and then you didn't have to change their diaper because you handed them off to mom and dad, and that's great, but, but we boast in our grandchildren, do we not? And this is the kind of thing that God is calling us to, and guess what? You used to annoy me, but now I'm a grandparent, okay? And so now I'm going to boast in my grandson for a moment, okay? So can we throw up a picture of my grandson? Oh, man. Now just look closely. You see what I'm saying? <laughs> Genetics are awesome, especially when they resemble you. Um, that's baby Timothy. He's three months old and a bundle of joy for my wife, Carla, and I. And uh, we are now boasting, if you will, praising the Lord in, for our grandchild. See, we're not to boast in anything other than in the Lord. We don't boast in our might. We don't boast in our strength. We don't boast in our wisdom. We boast in the Lord and so the word here, 
Hallel, it means to praise. But if I were to ask my son-in-law, who's an Israeli, what the word is described as in Hebrew today, in modern culture, when they say Hallel, Hallel means to worship. It means to worship. And so here in verse 1 he says, praise who? The Lord. Hallel, Yahweh. And so when we combine those two words together, we get a word. Anybody know it? Hallelujah. Can we say that together? Let's say it. Hallelujah. One more time. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And that is our call this morning. We have been called to praise the Lord. We've been called to praise the Lord. And so praise is so much more than worship. And we don't praise the Lord because we expect to receive something back from the Lord in return for our praise. Not at all. No, that's not why we praise the Lord. We praise the Lord. Our praise of the Lord becomes the means by which we who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb returns the glory back to the one who is all glory, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's why we praise the Lord. It is our desire to return or to refract His glory back to Him. That's why we praise the Lord. And notice he says three times in verse 1, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We are to praise the Lord. You say, well, pastor, why do you say praise the Lord? Why do you say we? Well, because in verse 1, he says, praise who? O servants of the Lord. Any servants of the Lord in here? Lift up a shout. Like if you're a servant of the Lord, lift up a shout. Like I'm a servant of the Lord. I'm a servant of the Lord, and I'm going to praise the Lord today. And that's what we're called to do. And so we, as servants of the Lord, are called to praise the Lord. You see, servants, servants are those that do the will of the master. They conform to it. They're convicted by it. They depend on it. They are devoted to it. And as praising the Lord is what servants are called to, and it is the great duty of the servant, then we have to praise the Lord. And I believe the repetition that we see here in verse 1, these three mentions of praise, and then again a couple times throughout the psalm, and then the end of the psalm, he bookends it with verse 1, praise the Lord, ends it in verse 9, praise the Lord, is not to go unnoticed, but praise the Lord ought to reveal to us the greatest call that God has to us this morning. And sometimes, you know what, I think we get caught up in all of the rut of life and the busyness and the hecticness, and we forget of our greatest call. We forget the great call that we have been called to praise the Lord. Called to praise the Lord. And this repetition cannot go unnoticed. It's almost as if the boss was saying to you on Monday, hey, I need that report on Friday. And on Tuesday morning, he says, hey, I need that report on Friday. And on Wednesday, he says, hey, I need that report on Friday. On Thursday, he says, hey, I need that report on Friday. Guess what? That report is important. And so he's, he's using this repetition for us this morning, church, so that we would recognize the importance of the call to praise the Lord. You say, well, what, what do you mean by praise, Pastor? What, what are you talking about when you say praise? That's a great question, right? Because if we've been called to something, we've got to know what that means. We've got to understand what it means to praise the Lord. And so I've been thinking hard and long this week and last week before I 
gave this message to our church last Sunday on how I could explain to the body of Christ what it means to praise the Lord in a simple fashion. And so this is what I came up with. The first thing is that we are created, the Bible says, to bring glory to God. The chief end of man is to glorify God. You see, worship or praise shows forth the value you place on somebody or something. And so if praise is showing forth the value you put on God, then praise is the response of our heart to what we value most. That's what praise is. That's what we mean when we say praise. It is the response of your heart to what you value most. And we worship and we praise what we value most. A good husband, any good husbands in the room? A good husband, guess what? Your job is to praise your wife. You praise her to her, you praise her to the people around you, you praise her all the time. Wives, <laughs> you praise your husband. He has God's provision for you. You praise it to him, you praise it around him, you praise him to others. And that is just a minute level as to what we've been called to as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are called to praise the Lord. So what does the psalmist say we are to praise? Who does the psalmist say? He says the Lord. The Lord is the object of our praise. It's that simple. So my question then, I guess, that I'm asking you this morning is do you value the Lord? If praise is what I value and I'm called to praise, then do I value the Lord? Really value the Lord. How much you value the Lord will determine how much you tilt that praise meter in your life. You ever been to a Blackhawks game? Any Blackhawks fans in the room? I know I'm in, I know I'm in enemy territory over here. But... Um, <laughs> But, but Blackhawks game, if you go to a Blackhawks game uh, and, and you stand in the national anthem, you never hear the man sing the national anthem. You want to know why? Because the fanatical fans, the Blackhawks fans like myself, are so loud that they are screaming for their team because they are so, they value the Blackhawks better than anything else in life. And so the man over here is going, oh, say can. I can't sing, but that's okay. And the guys over here are going, what? And so you cannot hear anything that the guy is singing. All you can hear is the fans, 20-some thousand of them, cheering the top of their lungs, praising their team because they value their team. That praise meter just gets crazy. And I wonder how much the praise meter is in our hearts for the Lord. Louis Giglio, while speaking to our students last month at camp said this thought it was great about worship that applies certainly to praise here he said how do you know where or what how do you know where or what your wor you worship it's easy you want to know where your praise is you want to know how to, you worship he says this you you follow the trail of your time your affection your energy your money and your allegiance and at the end of the trail you will find a throne and whatever or whoever is on that throne is what is of highest value to you so who do we praise church who do we praise the lord 
What do, we, what do we mean when we say praise? We mean we value him. We are declaring his value to us. And how do I know what I most value? I follow the trail of my life as it gives evidence to who I praise and why. And so I'd like to do that with us this morning. Could we just do that for a second? Could we look at that trail? Is your time used to praise the Lord? Is your energy used to praise the Lord? Is your affection used to praise the Lord? Is your money, as if it's yours, used to praise the Lord? Really, truthfully, examine your heart. Ask these tough questions. Because your praise is going somewhere. Your energy is used for something. Your time's used for something. Your affection is used for something. And your money is used for something. And at the end of that trail, we find what that something is that you praise. Now, we may say verbally that we value the Lord, but often the greater value of our actions show otherwise, and we're all guilty of that. We're all guilty of that, and I believe it, it ought to cause within us a sense where we need to get on our knees, even right now, in our hearts, and repent before the Lord and ask him to restore and refresh us to the relationship that he has called us to when he called us out of darkness into his marvelous light and raised us up and put us in houses with princes of men. Notice verse 2, he says, Blessed be the name, blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forever. I love that thought. The name of the Lord is to be praised. The name of the Lord is the totality of the greatness, of the vastness, of the awesomeness, of the character of the God that we serve, the God that we worship, the God has called us unto himself and we praise him for who he is, and his name defines who he is. Did you know, church, did you know that names have meaning? You ever done a name study? Now, I'm certain that mom's in the room. Moms, you've done a name study, right? When you went to name your child, you did a name study, and it was like you wanted to name that child something that meant something. Or you had some family name, or you had something. Or... Back in our home where our children grew up, um, we decided that we would look at the names of God and study the names of God. And in the stairwell, up in the upper cupola area of the stairwell, we wanted to put the names of God in Hebrew around because we wanted to say in our home that Jesus Christ, that the Lord, that God was highest above all. And so Adonai, El Shaddai, Yahweh, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Rapha, all of these amazing characteristics of who God is. And we praise the name of the Lord for who he is. This last week, my mother-in-law um, texted me a, a little um, chart that had the names of the angriest girls. In fact, I think it came from Kristen, so I'm going to get away with saying this, all right? And sadly, for Pastor David and for Pastor Cal, both Kristen and Mary were on the list. <laughs> but fortunately for me, Carla, praise God, was not on the list. And that's a good thing. Almost 30 years now, the Lord has had us together married, and I'm so blessed. But you know, you say, Pastor, there's a lot of things in our lives that 
they come along and they steal our praise, don't they? There's things in our lives that I'm giving into that, that, are, that are taking my praise away. And I call these praise killers. I wrote four of these down. The first one is worry. Worry. Worry is a massive praise killer, let alone a human killer. Worry. And oftentimes we find ourselves, church, we find ourselves between faith and fear. And which one of these is going to win out on us in a given circumstance? Am I going to have faith and follow God because I believe that he has his greatest interest in me? Or am I going to have fear and not trust the Lord because he's greater? So worry is a real praise killer. We have to give that over to the Lord. There's a second one, and it's complacency. Complacency. You say, well, what do you mean by that, Pastor? I'm talking about when you get content with the Lord, when you get stagnant with the Lord, that is not a good place to be. In other words, um, the Lord does call us to be content in material things, but never in spiritual things. He's always saying, press on, press on, press on. Leave the elementary principles behind. Get on to the, the oracles of God, the greater things. Press on. Never become complacent. When we, come become, when we become complacent, it kills our praise. There's a third thing. I call it the one and done praiser. The one and done praiser. And by that I mean that's the Sunday praiser. Right, they gather on Sunday, and they are all in on Sunday morning. They are ready to go. And then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, guess what? It digresses greatly from there, and they lose their praise, and the tank runs empty. And so we have these emotional believers that go like this. There's no steadfastness in the Lord. There's a fourth one. This is a real one. It's a complaining spirit. A complaining spirit. And here's what I would say, church. And I said this to my church last week, and maybe the pastors are going to get upset with me and ask me not to do the second service, but I'm going to just tell you what I believe. There is no greater, there is no greater danger in a church than a complaining spirit. Complainers destroy churches. And so if you can't gather at Harvest Spring Lake week in and week out and praise the Lord, because you've been called to praise the Lord, because you're complaining about the music or you're complaining about the pastor, or you're complaining about the small group, you come, then find a church that you can go to where you can praise the Lord because your obedience and your call is to do that. Because complaining spirits kill the praise of God. You say, okay, pastor, I get it. I know that I've been called to praise the Lord and I know that I've been called. I know who I've been called to praise and I know what it means to praise. So when am I to praise? When am I to praise? Isn't that what we're doing this morning? Isn't that Sunday? Isn't that what we do? Look at verse 2. He says this. From this time forth and forever. When does the, when does the praise service end on Sunday? Not at 1030. It ends at 1259 and 59 seconds of Sunday night p.m. That's when praise service ends on Sunday. And it starts back up at 12 o'clock Monday morning the praise service never ends it's forever I love the subtle implications of that too right like so there's a promise in that that when they put us in that box our praise is not done those who have embraced Jesus Christ by faith your praise is not done when they put you in that box your praise is forever it is forever 
He says, from the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. Praise the Lord. You say, well, what about the hard times, Pastor? What about those difficult days? What are those times? What am I going to do then? The Bible never says that we are to praise the Lord for everything. The Bible says that we are to praise the Lord in everything. And that's the difference. You are to praise the Lord in everything. And so difficult times are going to come. Yes, they're going to come. But we praise the Lord in the storm. Do you remember Acts chapter 16? In Acts 16, um, we find Paul and Silas. And there's this amazing story that takes place. And I'm just going to read part of it, but it says this. It says, when they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Now, just to stop there for a moment and imagine. Here's Paul and Silas. They're in prison. They've been thrown not just into prison, but they're in the inner prison. So, in other words, put yourself in the text, right? Constantly put ourselves in the text when we look at God's word. And so, you're there. You're in solitary confinement. You've been locked up, and your feet are shackled. What are you doing? Well, if you're like me, quite simply, you're probably complaining, right? You're like, I don't deserve this. There's no reason I should be here. There's nothing I did wrong. All I was doing was preaching the gospel. All I was telling people about Jesus. Did you know that there's hundreds of people in jail around the world for praising the Lord? The very thing that we're being called to this morning. But we enjoy the freedoms in our nation. And I'm here to tell you, church, that that's not always going to exist. And someday there's going to be a great persecution upon those who praise the name of the Lord. And the question is, will we stand strong in that moment? Oh, servants of the Lord, will we praise the Lord at all times? So what are Paul and Silas doing in that moment? Listen to this, verse 25. But at midnight, Paul and Silas, they were grumbling and murmuring and complaining about all the things that... No, no, no. That's not what he says, is it? He says this. Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. And the prisoners were listening. Are you kidding me? They're lifting up praise to God. They're praying. They're singing. And the prisoners are listening. And suddenly there came a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. And the jailer, right, the jailer, he's getting nervous because what was his job? To watch the, watch the jail, right? You, know, you can't let them out. And the jailer awoke and saw the prison door opened and drew his sword and was about to kill himself supposing that the prisoners had escaped. Now he's freaking out. He, he's very nervous at this point. But Paul cried out with a loud voice saying, do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And he called for the lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? I love that. You know why I love that? Because it's an encouragement to us that hard times are going to come, and we're going to continue to praise the name of the Lord in the storm. And when we praise the name of the Lord, guess what happens? The prisoners are listening. 
The unbelievers are listening. Those who need to hear the truth. And they watch you when you go through difficult days. And because you don't worry. And because you haven't become complacent. And because you haven't been a one and done type praiser. And because you're not a complaining spirit. They hear you. And they praise your God. And they love your God. Because Jesus is our God. And we praise him at all times. We never give up praise. Not during the bad times. Not during the good times. We praise him all the time. And the prisoners listen. And life's change. That's awesome. So when do you praise the Lord? You praise him during the bad times. And certainly we praise him during the good times also, right? So a little homework for you. Go home and read Exodus chapter 15. And see what it means to praise the Lord during the good times. Moses, after being taken out of the wilderness and, 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 and helping his people. And it, it says, I mean... Um, just look at it, Exodus 15, after they came out of Egypt, out of slavery. It's awesome. Not out of the wilderness, I messed that up, sorry. Brace that, please. Um, but uh, look at it, and maybe for you, maybe you need to tonight sit down and open up your journal and write all the things that you can praise God for in your life. And reflect back to that. And remember that during difficult days. We praise the Lord. I was talking with my mother-in-law, not this week, but last week as I was working through preparing this message for our church. And, and I asked her, I said, Judy, just in, off the top of your head, tell me something. What, what, what does it look like for you to praise the Lord? And Judy, without even like a, a, a missing a heartbeat, she said this. She said, for me, it's all about what we say about Jesus in the good, the bad, and the indifferent. I love that thought. It's all about what we say. She went on and she said, and this is how I praise him, because from out of the mouth the heart speaketh. She said, we praise him for his creation. We praise him because of his great benefits for us. We praise him because of the sacrifice for us, for his mighty angels that surround us, and his warriors that I call upon for protection at night. We have much to praise the Lord for. You're like, okay, pastor, I get it. I get it. There's a whole lot of things that we've allowed to enter into our hearts and our minds to steal our praise, to kill our praise. And I know that I've been called to praise, and it's a struggle that I've got this battle going on. Can you give me a little motivation, pastor? Can you help me out here? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's what we're looking at this morning. Our second point this morning is I have great reasons to praise the Lord. Look at verse 4. He says, the Lord is high above all nations. His glory is above the heavens. Stop there for a second. Anybody ever seen one of these? This is a, um, this is a really, really amazing invention. This is called a loof lighter. And uh, how many people still use a charcoal uh, grill? Or you have like an egg and you use some kind of chips or wood or something, right? And uh, this doesn't require any lighter fluid. This doesn't need a match. This doesn't take like forever to get that thing started because all we do is we, we turn that on and it sounds like a hair, hair dryer. But you can't see that, but that is blowing out massively hot air. And it starts coals within like three minutes. Immediately. And so here's the deal this morning, churches. Some of you, some of you you're stuck in these praise killers and you need a loof lighter. 
You need a loof lighter. You need to have that spark ignited in your life. You need to be turned from this praise-killing life into this praising life. And so we have it right here for us. Remember, loved ones, that praise is the response of what we value. And there's many reasons we're going to find in these next few verses. And so the first one is this. There's no one like our God. There's no one like our God. Look at verse 5. Who is like the Lord our God, he asked rhetorically. Who is enthroned on high? There's no one like our God. See, God is bigger than any other supposed God. He is greater. He's higher. There's no one like our God. Where can you go from our God? Nowhere. There's no one. Listen, I don't care how many years LeBron James enters the free agency. Okay? He can do it every year if he wants. But Jesus Christ is the free agent of free agents. And LeBron James is not the king. Jesus Christ is the king. And so there is no one like our God. None. Nobody. This week I was, um, or last week I was sitting with Timothy and uh, had him early in the morning and Nicole had gone back to bed and I was sitting outside just kind of thinking about Psalm 113 and what I was going to share with my church last week and I had Timothy in my arms and I said, hey, Timothy, you know, this week I'm going to be preaching in Psalm 113 and, and it's talking about how we're to praise the Lord. And that, oh, servants of the Lord are to praise the Lord. And I'm praying that one day you're going to become a servant of the Lord, Timothy. And, and, and on top of that, he is awesome. And he is high above it all. And there's no one like him. He's not some kind of regional God, Timothy. He's not like President Trump over the United States or President Netanyahu over Israel. He is over it all. He's in charge. He's the man. There's no one like him. There's no limit to the vastness of his greatness. There's no limit to the, the glory of his grace. He is God. And guess what, Timothy? Judge Kavanaugh, he might become a judge on the high court, but Jesus Christ is the court. And guess what? One day, Timothy, I'm praying and hoping that he will stoop down and reach down and lift you up like he has your mother and father, and give you faith in Jesus Christ. I had him up here like this, and uh, he was drooling pretty good, so I think he got it. <laughs> Not sure, I hope so. But look at verse 5, it says he's enthroned, he sits on high. Say, so what's he sitting for? Well, he's not sitting because he's tired. He doesn't need to rest. He's sitting because he's in control. He's ruling comfortably. He's in total control. And I heard it said this week uh, by one pastor, he said that God is not up for re-election. He doesn't play musical chairs, but he sits on high, looking down. Looking down, verse 6, it says this, who humbles himself to behold, to look down. It actually means to stoop down. To, to, to come out of his place of enthronement and to stoop down to look upon the earth. Aren't you so thankful that Jesus Christ did that for us? Aren't you so thankful that Philippians 2 says that even though he was God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, he stooped down, taking on the form of a man. And being made in the likeness of man, he became obedient to God even unto the point of death on the cross. The most miserable way to die in that day. He chose to die for you and for me. Aren't you so grateful for that? There ought to be a reason to praise him this morning. 
There's no one like our God, church. There's nobody. There's a second reason we praise the Lord, and that is that my God raises up the poor and the needy. Look at verse 7. He says this. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. Now when it says poor here, it's not talking about financial wherewithal. It's not, it's not referencing that at all. I believe that this church has just kind of gone through the study on the Sermon on the Mount, right? And you've looked at what it means to be poor in spirit. That's what he's talking about here. He says he lifts up those that are poor in spirit, contrite in spirit, humble before the Lord. He lifts them up. You see, in that day, the illustration pointed to those that that didn't have enough to live. And so they were out in the garbage area and they were hanging out in the garbage area because at night it was warm there as the garbage burned and at day they would try to find something to eat left over. They were needy. And Jesus Christ stoops down and he lifts up the needy. And maybe you're here this morning and you've experienced that kind of uplifting of the grace of God and you can remember back to the time when you were dead in your trespasses and sins, when you were walking according to the power of the prince of the year, when you were denying the power of God completely, and maybe this morning is your opportunity to hear this truth and remember when you were far from God, but in that moment, remember the goodness and the kindness of God that led you to repentance. And he brought you out of that low point and lifted you up out of the ash and has given you praise on your tongue. And that's a chance for you this morning to praise the Lord. But maybe this morning you're not that person. Maybe this morning you're like, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. I don't even know the Lord. How can I praise the Lord if I don't know the Lord? You can't. Because you want to know why? Because you can't value something you don't have. And so here's here's the opportunity for you this morning. The opportunity for you this morning is to examine your own heart, to remember and to realize that you are a sinner and you fall short of the glory of God daily. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know what the definition of sin is? Falling short of the glory of God. Everyone falls short of the glory of God. And the wage of that falling short is eternal death, complete separation from God for eternity forever. So your opportunity this morning, before you can even praise the Lord, is to to repent and come to know the Lord. So maybe for you, even right now, maybe your opportunity is to believe in your heart that Jesus was God and that he died and rose again victorious over sin so that you too could be lifted up out of the ash heap one day and rule and reign with him forever. And so when your little box gets put into the ground, you're not worried about whether or not you're going to be with the Lord forever. You can be sure. You can have confidence. You can know. And if you embrace Jesus Christ by faith this morning, and repent of your sin and acknowledge his great gift of salvation, you too can praise the Lord. Maybe that's your opportunity this morning. Say, well, what kind of person is is God looking for? Isaiah 66, it says it this way. It says, thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where then is the house you could build for me? Or where is a place that I may rest? For my hand made all these things. Thus all these things came into being declares the Lord. That's an awesome thought about our God, isn't it? But who is the one that God looks to? Look at this, verse 2. It says this, 
but to this one I look. Don't you want to be looked on by the Lord? Anybody want to be overlooked by the Lord? No. So, so what am I, what am I got to be to be looked on by the Lord? He says, but to this one I look. To him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at his word. You see, the eyes of the Lord are moving to and fro throughout the earth. And guess what they're doing? What are they looking for? They're looking for those whose hearts are wholly his. Why? Why, pastor? Because he wants to lift you up. He wants to strongly support you. So where's your heart? Is your heart full of praise this morning? Now, I'm mindful of who the Lord looks to. The humble and contrite of spirit. And I'm thinking about James, the writer of the book of James, half-brother of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm just going to say that if I were to be the half-brother of Jesus Christ and I had walked with him for my lifetime and I started the church in Jerusalem and I decided to write an epistle, that I might start that out by saying, I, Scott, the half-brother of Jesus Christ, I knew the lad. But that's not what he does. Anybody know what James 1.1 1, 1 says? It says, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. A bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. So here's the test, siblings. How's this one working? Calvin, a bondservant of Catherine doesn't go very well, does it? Right? But James sowed immense humility. And that is who God is looking for this morning, the poor in spirit, that he might lift them up. That is why later in chapter 4 of James, he says, to humble yourselves and he will exalt you. To be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning, your joy into gloom. So that you might be lifted up. There's a third and final reason that we praise the Lord this morning, and that is my God gives life and life abundantly. Look at verse 9. It says, He makes the barren woman abide in the house as a joyful mother of children. Praise the Lord. You know, this verse is a, is, is a difficult verse and can be, and certainly in a group this size it certainly could be a difficult verse for someone to receive. Maybe you just haven't experienced the joy of your own children or couldn't experience that for one reason or the other. And yet, I love what it says here, that God makes the barren woman to abide. She's no longer an outcast. She's not cursed. She abides in her house. Because in that day, in that culture, if you were barren, you were cursed. But not with God. And then he goes on because Jesus Christ wants us to live a life that is abundant and gives us life abundant. He says this, as a joyful mother of children. See, nothing is impossible with our God. And God is able. God is able. He says children, plural. He doesn't say singular. I like that. It's a pretty cool promise that the Lord makes. And then he closes by saying, praise the Lord. You know, if we were to look at the history of the nation of Israel, God has used barren woman over and over and over. It started with Sarah, 
Abraham, the promise that was made to him and his wife Sarah in latter years, and she had who? Isaac. And then Isaac, Rebecca, marries Rebecca, and she's barren for years and has Jacob. And then Jacob, with his favorite wife, Rachel, who was barren for a time, gave birth to Joseph, who basically protected Israel all through Egypt. And so it's a really interesting fact that God is about the business of not just granting mercy, but grace upon grace upon grace to those who call upon him in praise. Let's have a word of prayer. Father God, this morning we, uh, we come praising you, God, with hearts filled with joy. Joy for our salvation in Jesus Christ. Joy because while we were yet sinners, you sent Jesus to die on a cross, a brutal death. And that while we were poor, you made him poor so that we could be rich. And God, even this morning, there may be one here, there may be some here, Lord, who've come for whatever reason and they cannot honestly say, I'm here to praise the Lord. Because they don't know the Lord. So God, in your goodness and by your grace and in your mercy, would you bring conviction to their heart? And by your kindness, would you lead them unto repentance and faith and trust in Jesus Christ so that they too might be able to say, with the servants of the Lord, that we praise the name of the Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.